All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God, we thank you for this holy time to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Holy Week and of Easter, the events through which your Son, Jesus, redeemed and saved the world. We ask that you bless our time together this afternoon, help us to come to know you more deeply, that we might love you more entirely, and that all that we might say, think, and do would bring you greater glory and honor. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, well, good to see everybody. Welcome to live stream people also. Um, you're stuck with me today. Uh, so last week, I know, did Larry get through all of the Eucharist? So did he? He did not. Okay. Do you remember about where he left off? Did he talk about transubstantiation or did he did talk about that? Okay, good. So, you know, essentially, hopefully kind of what Catholics believe about the Eucharist and some of how we believe it in the sense that we believe that Jesus really does turn the body and the, uh, the bread and wine into his body and blood. Uh, and then transubstantiation is sort of the theology, if you will, of, of how we understand that change to occur. What he asked me to do today was to talk about um, the Mass and sort of the, the liturgy, the context in which that event, that the sacrament of the Eucharist, takes place. So um, I had very little time to organize, so this is probably going to be very scattered. It's a good day to ask any questions you have. If you are not raised Catholic, we do a lot of things that probably look really, really weird. And so today uh, would be a good chance to ask any questions you might have about, I, I know I see a lot of you at Mass throughout the week and on Sunday. So... As you're watching all that sort of stuff unfold, if you're wondering, well, why did they do that or why does he say that, today would be a good day to ask me any of that um, at any point. I definitely don't have like an hour of content that I'm going to cover, so um, we will be able to get out and enjoy the sunshine uh, earlier uh, than normal. Actually, there's something going on over in the church, too, that I want to talk about at the end here. Um, but I don't have to rush off anywhere, so if we do have a bunch of questions and we want to talk about that, that's great, too. Um, I'm going to try to be very, very sort of practical today about what it is that you're seeing and more importantly, how to sort of participate in the Mass so that um, should, God willing, you choose to enter the church uh, at Easter, you'll be able to do so actively and intentionally. Um, and I'm going to get really, really down to the particulars because a lot of times Catholics get certain things wrong too. Uh, and so I'm hoping that as the new <laughs> flock, if you will, that you guys can sort of show them uh, what they're doing wrong. Um, one thing that I pointed out before, this is the, called the bulletin. Uh, every parish will have a church bulletin that's usually near the entrances or the exits of the church. You can take one of these. There's a new one out every week, and it sort of explains all the different stuff that's going on in the parish, the parish community over the course of that week or that month. Anything you ever see in here, you are very, very welcome to participate in. So we've got like some different concerts coming up. There's a women's group that meets, I think, once or twice a month. There's a men's group that meets once a month. There's a young adult group that meets every single week. I teach a class two Wednesdays a month. So all of that stuff is sort of spelled out in this bulletin. So if you want to know what's going on around here, you're looking for ways to get involved, this is always a good place to start. And like I said, they're all over the church. So you can always take one of those. Um, okay, so like I said... Um, the sacrament of the Eucharist takes place within a particular context, and that's what we call the Mass. And the Mass is a liturgical ritual, and that word liturgy is one that you hear from time to time. Liturgy just sort of refers to communal, um, ritualized worship. Um, and sort of the, the rationale behind liturgy and praying together is a few things. One is that... Um, it's good for us to pray together, right? It's good for us to pray as individuals, but God wishes to save us and form us as a people, right? The gospel is very explicit about God's intention for us to be, to be one. And so one of the ways for us to express our unity is to come together and pray. Um, also, we see in the gospel when um, the apostles ask Jesus, you know, teach us how to pray. 
He doesn't just say, oh, I don't know, just go make it up. No, he, he gives them a certain prayer to pray. So I think I said very, very early on in, the, in RCIA that there's two sort of ways to pray. They're both good. They're both important, but you should do both. One of them is to just speak to God in your own words, right? So do make it up. Just talk to God about what's happening in your heart, you know, in your life. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you want? What are your hopes? Talk to God about all those things. Speak to God in, in your own words. Um, Faith is a relationship with a person. And so um, one absolutely essential element to any personal relationship is communication. And so prayer is the way that we keep that up. And so a really, really good and important way to pray is just to, just to talk to God about, in your own words, about anything that you want. It's also, though, important, though, to pray in the words that, that God has given to us, right? So God gave us the Lord's Prayer we see in the Gospel. We believe that God has also given the church a whole host of different prayers, and the Mass is one of them. So the Mass is the, the, the most important prayer that we pray together as Catholics um, because it is the prayer within which the most important sacrament happens, the Eucharist. Um, so a good, the best way to kind of think about the Mass is that it is one prayer, but it's composed of two parts, right? So it begins with the sign of the cross, it ends with the sign of the cross, as we Catholics tend to do our prayer. But it's composed of two parts. It's composed of what's first called the Liturgy of the Word, and then the liturgy of the Eucharist. Um, we put a lot of emphasis on the Bible. Anytime any Catholic liturgical celebration is happening, there's going to be some reading of Scripture, some praying with Scripture. Um, I know Larry talked about Scripture, but it's very traditional uh, to think about Scripture as sort of being like a quasi-sacrament, right? So remember, the sacraments are these rites that communicate grace objectively to us. We believe Scripture sort of works in, in a similar way, not exactly the same, but a similar way, that Scripture is an objective medium through which God can speak to us today, and God can communicate grace to us today. It's not just sort of a, a history book. We don't just use it to learn about Jesus. We do that, but it also is, is a vehicle through which He can speak to us now. So Scripture is very much at the heart of the liturgical life of the church. And so the Mass begins with um, what's called the Liturgy of the Word. You'll find these all over the church. Um, these are a great thing to use um, as you're sort of learning to kind of figure out the flow of the Mass. Um, because again, it can be confusing if you've never sort of, if you didn't grow up with it, as you're trying to kind of learn more about the different stages of it. Um, let me start with this actually. So because the Mass is a prayer that we think is given to us, it's not my job as the priest or anybody's job just to sort of make it up, right? I can't just go up there and, and say whatever words that I want and expect it to be the Mass. No, the, the, the Mass is a prayer that we have received. And so anytime you see a priest celebrating Mass, he's going to have a book that looks kind of like this. This is kind of a smaller one. I travel with this one. And it's called the Roman Missal. Missal is just a, a sort of anglicized version of the Latin word misa, which is the Latin word for Mass, right? So this is, this is the book that the priest uses to say Mass, and it's the one you see the server come out and hold open for me. It's the one that goes and gets set on the altar, and all the prayers of the Mass are contained in here. From the very beginning, the sign of the cross is in there through, through the very end. Um, this is sort of, um, it's sort of like a condensed version of this. Um, all the prayers of the Mass are in here. Um, and so, like I said, it's a good way to, to sort of follow along with the Mass. Doug printed out sort of a table of contents looking thing um, on there. The parts that would be probably especially useful to you guys um, would be, um, so the readings, so the first reading, you know, number five, seven, and eight, and nine. And then you can really skip everything in the middle up to um, what's called the, 
the rite of communion. Yeah, the Lord's Prayer. So starting at around number 18. Um, so you'll find these all over the place. You can take one of these. You can use it. Um, uh, it's a really, really helpful thing. What's somewhat complicated about the Mass is that while it is sort of a standard prayer that we'll receive, certain parts of the Mass depend upon the day that it's being celebrated. So many of the prayers are, very, are specific to that particular day. So we're in the season of Lent right now. The prayers that are prayed during the days of Lent are different from the ones that get prayed during ordinary time or during Christmas time and so on and so forth. It's the same with the readings that are read at Mass. So in addition to this book, we need another book that I didn't bring down here, which is called the Lectionary. And all the readings are on a, a cycle of, it's really complicated, <laughs> it's a two-year cycle for the first readings and a three-year cycle for the Gospels. Um, what's really convenient is, in addition to these things, they make these. It's called a Daily Roman Missal. And I grew up using one of these. My, my dad still uses one. Um, some people are embarrassed to kind of bring the, the book along with them and sort of read along at Mass. You shouldn't ever be embarrassed. Uh, it, it doesn't sort of give you away as somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. A lot of people find it just helpful to read along as the prayers are being offered or as the readings are being read. Um, I'm, I'm like that. I mean, I can sort of listen to somebody as they're talking, but it's helpful for me also to read along as they're, as they're reading. Uh, and the cathedral is really big, too, so it's sometimes hard to hear right what's going on over there. So if you have something like this, um, it can be helpful. It's called a Daily Roman Missal. You can find one anywhere. And it's got everything in here, all the prayers of the Mass, and it's also got all the readings that are contained in the other books. So it's kind of a nice single source. Um, iBrevery is another app that we've talked about before that also has all the prayers and all the readings for the Mass, and it updates every single day. So as you log into it one day, the readings for that particular day will be in the app. So that's really helpful. Another, it's called iBrevery. Oh, okay. Yeah, iBreviary, yeah. Another um, subscription-based thing that you can get, it's called Magnificat. And it's basically like a magazine that you can subscribe to, and it's, it's a small little thing. It's about this size, a lot thinner, actually. And it comes month by month, and it'll just have all of the prayers for every single Mass of that month and all the readings as well uh, in there. So um, it's a really convenient just sort of resource. It's cheap. I think it's like five bucks a month, maybe 10 bucks a month, and you get the whole, the mass for the entire month in that, in that little magazine. So different sort of resources out there to help to sort of follow along with the mass. And again, a lot of people who have been Catholic all their life use things like this, just because we're, we're tactile creatures, right? And it's helpful for us to not just listen, but to, to use our other senses too as we're praying. Um, so essentially the Mass, like I said, it begins like any other prayer does. It begins with the sign of the cross. The priest offers a greeting. There's an opening, and then we confess, we... Um, Acknowledge our sins, right? The first thing that the priest says is, uh, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate these sacred mysteries. And we do that because, as I preach about very often, the, the only thing that can separate us from God uh, is, is our sin, is our choice to turn away from him. And so in order to prepare ourselves to worship God well, uh, it's good for us just to, to say, Lord, I acknowledge that I did this and I'm sorry. So every Mass begins with that little time to just acknowledge our our sins. Um, sometimes, and here, typically, we'll say the Confidior, I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, which you can find in here. Where's it at, Lawrence? Confidior should be, okay, really early on. Page seven. <clears throat> so you can see at the top of page seven, Mass begins with the, with the greeting, the Lord be with you. 
And we respond, and with your spirit, sprinkling, it says there's a rite for sprinkling of holy water. We usually only do that during the Easter season. Um, and then it goes right into the confidior. So if that's not a prayer that you've learned yet, um, which would, should not, wouldn't surprise me if you haven't, it's right there. It's right there. You can pray along with us. Uh, yes, as we pray that prayer. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yep. That's okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Pray, pray in, in whatever language is, is familiar to you. All the prayers of the church, they really exist in Latin, right? So all the church's sort of formal documents, if you will, and all of her prayers exist in Latin. And then there are approved translations of those prayers, um, obviously for different parts of the world, places where different languages are spoken. So, yeah. I noticed that, um, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's the, it's the hymn where they sing Hosanna in the highest. Sure. Jesus, he comes in the name of the Lord. Uh-huh. Recently it switched into Latin. Do we know what, oh. what, what's the guidelines between when some prayers of the Mass are in English and then they go to Latin? Great question. Um, there isn't really a guideline. That's just, it's the, the person's choice, or in our case, our music director's choice uh, to, again, Latin is sort of, it wasn't really until you know the last century that people were even allowed to pray the Mass in their own languages. So it's a, relative to the 2,000-year-long history of the church. Praying in English at Mass or Spanish or whatever language is, is fairly recent. Um, and so the prayers were always just said in Latin. Uh, and so to you know sort of honor that tradition, we do some of the parts of the Mass in Latin here. Um, I've, so, I don't know if the Latin is, gener is necessarily in here, but this is another resource that's out there for you. Whenever you come into Sunday Mass, you'll find one of these. Usually the ushers are handing them out. And it just it has all the songs that we will be using for that particular Mass. And um, if we're singing the Gloria in Latin, it'll be in there as well. We don't actually sing the Gloria during Lent, though. So the Gloria completely drops out of the Mass during Lent and, uh, and um, Advent as well, um, just to sort of give us the, you know, the state of mind that we're, we're preparing to celebrate something. So this is a sort of preparation time, so we drop the Gloria. Um, so we pray the Confidior. A lot of times when we chant the Lord have mercy, they'll say Kyrie eleison instead, which is just Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy in Greek, because Greek is another sort of ancient language of the church. So, um, but that's sort of the, the penitential rite. Um, we go through the Confidior. There's a prayer that the priest will say, and then we say Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Um, if it's not Lent or Advent, we pray the Gloria at that point, which is typically sung. Um, if you come to Mass during the week, does anybody come to Mass during the week? And I see you there, but sometimes Brandon on. Yeah, I see you there. Yeah, Every once in a while, yeah. So, so Mass is the same during the week as it is on Sunday, except we generally don't have music. So weekday Masses are a lot shorter. Uh, um, it's a smaller crowd, so communion doesn't take quite as long. Um, so if there's like a feast day during the week, which are sort of elevated celebrations for certain saints or certain events, um, we will pray the glory, but usually we'll just say it on a weekday. So um, you're always welcome to come during the week as well, right? Seven, eight, and noon is when our weekday Mass is on. After, yeah, oh, sorry, <laughs> that was a handy one. After the Gloria, uh, the priest will say, let us pray, and then there's a prayer that's offered called the Collect, um, or you know, some people just call it the opening prayer. And typically what's supposed to happen, I'm not always good at this, um, 
But after the priest says, let us pray, we're all, there's supposed to be sort of a pause there, and it's supposed to give us the opportunity for all of us to, to pray and to sort of offer silently our prayers and maybe our intentions for that Holy Mass. You can come, you should come to Mass with intentions, and I'm coming here to pray for this person or for this event or for this thing. And that moment when the priest starts the Mass by saying, let us pray, is the opportunity to sort of bring those all in to, you know, um, to mind. And then that opening prayer is called the collect because by the priest offering this one prayer out loud, it's a matter of collecting or gathering the prayers of everyone in the church and sort of uniting them in that one prayer. After the collect, everybody sits, right? Um, and we go right into the liturgy of the word. At every single mass, there are at least two readings from scripture. On Sundays, there's three. There will always be a gospel reading. So the gospel, obviously, are the, the books of the Bible uh, that relate to us the life of Jesus. They're sort of the culmination of Revelation. So every single Mass will have a gospel reading. Typically, um, for a Sunday, the first reading is from the Old Testament. The second reading is from the New Testament, so one of the letters of Paul generally, because that's the bulk of the New Testament apart from the Gospels. And then we have a gospel reading. Um, if you come to Mass during the week, there's usually only one reading apart from the Gospel, and that can be, it's generally from the Old Testament, but sometimes from the New. And again, all those, this, this book is only going to help you on a Sunday, so this is all the Sunday Masses, the prayers and the readings for Sunday are in here. All the weekday Mass readings are going to be in something like this, again, a daily Roman Missal, or they're going to be on iBrievery, that, that app that you can get. Um, and again, feel free to take those things out and, and read along uh, with, uh, with the, whoever's reading the, the reading. Um, so there will be a, yeah? Mm -hmm. How the regular and the Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. So is the missile just like the two or three years, all of it? Or is it? It is. So let's pull up today. I mean, it's got every single day. So... Today is the second Sunday of Lent, so second week of Lent, Sunday, and it's got, it'll tell you that the readings are on, like, on a cycle, like I said, so it'll, it's cycle A, B, or C, and it has mapped out here what years correspond to that cycle, so it's 2024, what year are we in, Doug? We're in year B, all right, so you flip to B, 2024, and there's the first reading, and there's the responsorial psalm, um, and there's the gospel. Um, same thing for the weekdays. Um, so it's, it's, all, it's all right in there. This is a great thing to have. Really, a daily Roman missile is a really, really helpful thing to have. Yeah. And all the prayers, everything is in there. What you won't find in here or in here are, are the songs that we sing. So the hymns that we sing at the beginning and the end and during communion. That's going to be particular to the parish. And so hopefully generally each parish will have something like this. Or they'll have a hymnal and like a, a song board up front that will say, for the communion hymn, go to page 27 of this book. So, yeah. Yeah, good question. Um, after the first reading, the responsorial psalm, the second reading, if there is one, and then the gospel, obviously everyone sits, and the priest gives hopefully a very short homily so he doesn't put everybody to sleep. Mine aren't too long, are they? Thank you. All right. <laughs> good. All right. Thanks for the feedback. Um, and then after the, uh, the homily, if it's a Sunday, he'll invite everyone to stand for the creed, which, was an, which is another item that it's helpful to have this for. So what page are we looking at for the creed, Lawrence? So, so you're going to go down. There it is. Oh, yeah. Profession, Profession of faith. faith. Yep. So it's page 81. It's after all the readings for all the Sundays of Lent. And you can see that this missal is for 
December 3rd through March 23rd. It's just for Advent and Lent. And so once we get into the Easter season, there will be a different one of these out there. We'll throw all these away and we'll get new ones in there. Yeah. It is. That's right. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's right. It is right there. <laughs> so you don't even have to go to page 81. You got a cheat sheet on the front cover. Thank you. <laughs> nice. All right. So skip what I just said. It's right there. Um, what else is on this? Good stuff. <laughs> Who knew? What's that? Yep. Sometimes usually it is in here. Um, if they got enough space, they'll put it in there. Yeah. Um, after the creed, uh, the priest, uh, or generally the deacon or elector, will read, um, offer prayers of the faithful. These are the petitions. We respond with the phrase, Lord, hear our prayer. And after those are finished, the liturgy sort of transitions from the liturgy of the word into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so a lot of times there's a hymn at that point. I'll generally sit down at that point, and the servers will go up and will prepare the altar with all the stuff that we need for the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is all this stuff. So they'll bring my book up there. Um, and um, chalices, you know, like this one, are supposed to be made out of a, a precious metal, so they have to be silver or, or gold or plated, at least, in that. And that's because that's what Jesus would have used. Uh, the Last Supper was a, was a Passover meal, and so every household would have had sacred vessels that they used just for the Passover. So when he sends his disciples into town to tell them, go to this household and tell them to prepare the, for the Passover for me, it meant get this stuff out of the closet that we only use for the Passover and get it set up. So sometimes people think, oh, we should be using clay or wooden chalices because that's more like what would have been common at Jesus' time. They would have been common, certainly, but for the Passover, which is the, the most elevated feast day of the entire year, they would have definitely used sacred vessels. And so that's what we use too. And obviously, eventually, these will contain the body and blood of Jesus. And so that's another reason that we use sacred uh, metals you know, for these, not glass, not wood or anything like that. Um, but the servers will, will prepare the altar. Um, the deacons will oftentimes help. Like I said, on a Sunday, there's typically a hymn that's sung at that point. Um, and from that point, it's, it's essentially just a series of prayers that the priest leads the people uh, in, in offering, uh, ultimately culminating in the words of institution, which is simply to repeat the very words of Jesus, take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. And it's at that moment, as the priest says those words, that we believe that that transformation, the transubstantiation happens, that the bread ceases to be and it becomes the body of Christ. I forgot your name, but you, you had a really good question last week that you said in some countries when the priest elevates the host that people will say, um, my Lord, oh my God, or something like that. I was going to say this last week, but um, I was in uh, Colombia, South America, a couple of years ago and attended Mass there. And it was really beautiful at that moment at the elevation of the host and the elevation of the chalice, there's just sort of this murmur that sort of goes through the crowd as people speak, you know, to the Lord, you know, I love you, say, you know, what have you. Typically when I do that, some people notice that my lips move as I'm holding, oh, there's a host in here now. No. That as I'm holding the host, holding the consecrated host, I will usually say, my Lord and my God. And then when I'm holding the chalice, I'll say, my Jesus mercy. And so it's, it's nice to have little sort of acts of faith or something like that, acts of charity. Um, that you can say in, in, those, in those moments. Um, that's also why we ring the bells at that moment. Um, some of that kind of comes from the tradition that um, in some forms of worship, there was a screen that stood between the sanctuary, which is where the liturgy of the Eucharist happens, and, every, and all the people. And so they couldn't see. And 
in addition to that, the priest's back was to everybody. He's, he's praying these prayers, um, and so people couldn't really necessarily see what exactly was going on. And so the servers would ring the bell to let the people know it's, it's now. Like this is, the consecration has happened at this particular moment. So that's kind of where that, where that tradition um, comes from. Um, what I'm talking about, I should have said this at the beginning, but let me just add another layer of confusion for you. Uh, <laughs> at, uh, what I'm talking about is what's called, um, it's the Roman ritual. There are other ritual forms of the Mass. There are other liturgical styles, if you will. So the Catholic Church, the, the largest section of the Catholic Church is, is Roman Catholicism, which is what I am. But there's also Byzantine Catholics, Chaldean Rite Catholics, um, Armenian, Maronite, and each one of them, while it's all the same Mass, it's all one sacrament, we all believe the same things, their rituals will look a little bit different. So Byzantine Rite, for instance, will still have kind of a screen between the priest, well, while he's offering the mass, and everybody else, so that's the bells will be particularly relevant there. Yeah. Uh, so are those people are those right? Uh, just called a different right. The are, are they under the pope? Yes. Yeah. So we are in union with with all of them. With uh, some of them are not. So sometimes you hear of like Greek Orthodox, uh, which would not be in union with the pope, and that's not just another liturgical rite. That's another faith. Um, but no, there's Roman Catholicism certainly is the largest, you know, population within the Catholic Church, but there are a number of different rites out there. We have probably five or six just here in St. Louis. Um, uh, so anyway, which one? Byzantine is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yep. A lot of bells, a lot of smoke. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of good stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of singing. Uh-huh. And the Maronite right is right downtown. We've got a number of Maronite Catholics here in St. Louis as well. Um, and, and all of that really is, you know, we want to convey when we come into a liturgical setting that, that something different is happening here, right? So we wear clothes that you normally wouldn't wear. I'm not going to be wearing my chasuble out when I'm at the ball game or anything like that. Um, you know, the music sounds different. Um, you, you know, I don't know. Maybe if you you can listen to chant. I think chant is beautiful, but but it's it's not what you're going to hear on KC95, right? If you if you turn that on, so the music, the clothes, even the smell, right? We use incense, so it, it smells different, and all of that is meant to give us an indication that something different is happening here. We've sort of stepped out of just normal life, and we're entering into something different and profound and elevated. So, in in my opinion, you know, all the aspects of liturgy should should indicate that to us, should point us in that direction. Um, now, of course, you can go to other parishes and they're not necessarily going to chant or use the, the hymns that we do or, or use an organ. They might use a guitar and drums and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, some people just don't find the sort of more elevated style of worship particularly helpful to their way of praying, and that, that's totally fine. So there is some sort of play in the joints, but ultimately, um, the idea is to give us the indication that something profound and different is happening here. And I think Byzantine liturgy really, really does that really, really well. Yeah. I like the Roman rite, too, obviously. That's what I, that's what I am. But <laughs> all right. I'm totally lost. Where are we at? Uh, creed, petitions. <laughs> um, uh, typically, the, the uh, part of the mass that's sort of fallen away a little bit with COVID is that typically the liturgy of the Eucharist would begin with people bringing, somebody in the congregation bringing the bread and wine forward. So the bread and wine that would be consecrated would be brought forward by somebody to sort of indicate that this isn't just something that the priest is up there doing and we're just watching, but it's something that we're all participating in, right? As, as the priest is offering 
Jesus and the person of Jesus, we're all meant to be offering ourselves, offering our, our prayers, like I said, sorrow for our sins. You know, all that is meant to be something that we're all doing together. The Mass isn't something that we just watch, but it's something that we all actively participate in. And so people bringing the gifts up, they're calling, you know, the gifts, the bread and wine, um, really was sort of a tangible way of representing that, that fact. Shouldn't have your own host, but you, I mean, you will when you receive Holy Communion, but that, that act of offering is something sort of spiritually carried out by everybody and physically brought together in the one offering of the bread and wine at the altar. So you shouldn't, yeah, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, um, what you hold up and right. like somebody brings that from their own home? No, so I, I gotcha. No, we would have them, from the sacristy, it, it's ours, you know, it's, the cathedral buys those things and provides them. But we put them out in the on a table generally in the aisle, and it's more of a, a representational thing. So it's not everybody brings their own host from home, but but somebody bringing it from the congregation up to the sanctuary is symbolic of that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, uh huh. Um, um, we, so after the um, after um, the priest does the, sort of the opening prayers of the liturgical rite of the uh, liturgy of the Eucharist, we pray the the holy holy or the sanctus, which is a a hymn that is sung. It's taken from the book of Revelation. Um, we're doing it in Latin right now. Um, typically, we kind of do it in Latin during Lent. Um, you can find that in here. After that, after the Holy Holy, everybody kneels, and it goes into what's called the Eucharistic prayer, which is a prayer that the priest says out loud. There's four different options for the Eucharistic prayer. Around here, we typically choose from one of the first three. So if you come to the 10 a.m. Mass, usually we use Eucharistic prayer one, which is the, the longer one. Eucharistic prayer two is very, very short. Usually I'll use that during the week. And then three is kind of mid-range, which we end up using that a lot on Sundays. Um, those are worth praying through on your own as well. Like, um, again, as you're sort of being introduced to the faith, obviously you're not going to have those memorized, but they're, they're beautiful prayers. And you can find them in here, in the Missal, um, on iBrevery, really anywhere. So you just kind of have to listen for which one the priest's going to go with. And uh, where do those begin? <laughs> yep, yep, you're exactly right. Yep, 90, actually 90 uh, earlier than that, 89. So on page 89, you can see we sing the Holy, 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 or Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus. And then the priest will go into the Eucharistic prayer, which follows right after that. So you can find Eucharistic Prayer 1 on page 89. And again, usually that's the one that we use here on Sundays at the 10, 10 a.m. Mass. Eucharistic Prayer 2, we don't use much unless it's like the 5 p.m. on Sunday and I'm really tired, <laughs> which is terrible to say, but um, I'm human. Um, and then Eucharistic 3, we end up using pretty often. So you just kind of kind of listen for the first couple words that the priest says to figure out which one he's, he's going with. Um, and yeah, like I said... It, as you're sort of learning the faith and sort of being introduced to it, it's, it's worth getting to know those prayers and, and praying through them. They're, they're really, particularly one, I think is a beautiful prayer. So um, after he finishes the Eucharistic prayer is another moment in which I think this book can be helpful because we go into the communion rite. Um, so whereas the Eucharistic prayer is primarily just the priest offering these prayers over the bread and wine, um, the communion rite's more of kind of a dialogue. It begins with the Our Father, which... You all know. Um, but then there's a, a sort of a series of prayers that the priests and the congregation pray sort of back and forth with one another. 
And all of that begins on page 99. So we pray the Our Father. The priest says, yeah. Why it's different? It, so the reason we pray the shorter one is because that's the one that's in the Bible. Uh, so that, that extra sort of, for the, the kingdom, the power, and the glory, um, is more or less what we say at Mass. Um, and it was, um, I couldn't tell you which reformer exactly it was who decided to just sort of keep that on to private recitation of the Our Father, but it was taken from the way that the Our Father is, is prayed at Mass. So, um, so yeah, typically they end with, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Um, and we say that in the Mass. We pray the Our Father, the priest says, deliver us from, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our day, so on and so forth. And then everybody responds, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. So. It's still different. Oh, is it? It's slightly different than how it's said. For, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It gets me worked up when I'm trying to do it. Gotcha. <laughs> Well, be patient with yourself, and it's okay to say whatever. Part of it might be, too, is that the, um, the translation, the English translation of the Mass was updated. Gosh, when was that? Um, it was while I was in seminary, so say 15 years or so ago. Uh, and so they might be using the prayer that they pray might be based off of an older English translation of the Mass, and so we used a newer one now. Yeah. Um, so after we pray the Our Father and pray that sort of dialogue prayer back and forth, um, is the opportunity for um, folks to come forward and to receive Holy Communion. And this is the part that I really wanted to, to talk about. So because, God willing, should you choose to enter the church, you will receive your first Holy Communion um, at the Easter Vigil, Pentecost potentially. Um, no, no, you're already here. You're already baptized. Yeah, so you've already seen First Communion. For those of you who haven't, um, there's two ways that you can receive Holy Communion. Um, and Catholics get these all wrong. So I'm going to be very specific about the right way to do this. Um, you can choose to receive on the tongue. Um, and if you're going to do that, great. Close your eyes. <laughs> because a lot of times what people will do is, is as they see us coming in with the host, they'll try to chase us down and bite us and things like that. <laughs> if you just close your eyes, the priest will find you. We will, we will get the host to you. So you just close your eyes. <laughs> Stick your tongue out just a little bit and, and, you know, just kind of tilt your head back slightly. We offer the option here, we started this during COVID and it was extremely appreciated, so we still do it, of, of kneeling at the communion rail. That's what that rail is, is built there for. Most churches would have had that um, up until, you know, the 60s or so. Not every church is going to offer that option. So if you go to a church where they don't kneel, you just come up and stand and the priest will say the body of Christ, to which we respond with the word Amen which means I believe. It's a chance to make one more sort of act of faith in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And yeah, if you want to receive on the tongue, just open your mouth and close your eyes and we'll get you. <laughs> it's, people are terrible about this. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also like, it's how the hosts sometimes get dropped, unfortunately, as people try to, to get us. I'm like, just stay still. You're okay. Um, the other way to receive is um, to receive on the, on the hand. And just... This is something I preach about every once in a while because people make this mistake too. We, we receive communion, so it's receiving communion. We don't, we don't take it. It's a, it's a gift that the Lord offers to us. And so when we come up, if you're going to receive on the hand, we don't you know, reach up and try to snatch it you know, from the priest or anything. You don't have to grab it. 
put one hand on top of the other, just put them out as sort of a flat um, table, if you will, like a little altar, and the priest will say, again, the body of Christ, and you would respond, amen, and you would receive the host on your hand, and typically just right then and there, you can take the host with your other hand and, and consume it. Some people make the sign of the cross afterwards. You don't have to. Um, but those are the two ways to receive, to receive Holy Communion. Um, for somebody who is not Catholic, for somebody who maybe is conscious of a grave sin um, and so hasn't maybe had the opportunity to go to confession yet, the best thing, honestly, to do is just to, you can just stay in the pew and continue to pray from there. If you want, you can come forward for a blessing, and you can just indicate that by crossing your hands over your chest. Typically, we don't recommend that just because everybody gets blessed at the end of Mass, so it's a little bit redundant, but we're not going to shoot you away if you want to come up and receive a blessing. That's totally fine. Um, yeah. It's, it, they also started asking people maybe a little over a decade ago to make a little bow before you receive communion as you come forward. The best time to do that, just do that as the person in front of you is receiving. So you don't have to wait for them to get out of the way and then bow or come up and then bow. Or the worst is, body of Christ, amen, put your hands out and then bow. So I'm, I'm chasing you. If you give like just a, a small little bow just of the head as the person in front of you is receiving, that, that's the best time to do it. And then come forward and, uh, and receive Holy Communion yourself, the body of Christ, amen. Um, questions about that? I mean, I, I know it sounds silly that I'm going into so much detail, but <laughs> we... Martina Breyer and I laugh about this all the time. The things that people make up when they're coming up for communion are pretty incredible. Yeah. So I always said that like, um, to receive um, the body of Christ like this, uh -huh. I mean, have to do it with my left hand and to, to not take the body of Christ with my left hand in my mouth. That's, that's sort of an ancient, not ancient, it's not ancient at all. Um, that's, that's a way of, that some people think about it, but there's no sort of formal teaching about that. You're okay to receive either way. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. Yeah. No, 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 you're not. And neither are they. I mean, if, if some people find it helpful to make a little sign of the cross at that moment, just as an act of reverence, but there's nothing in the ritual about that, so you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which person, hmm. uh, and I'm talking about the offering part, but like after all the elements are kind of sacred form, I would ask for communion. Any, any Catholic can receive from any other rite of, of, within Catholicism. So if you were to go to the Maronite Catholic Church downtown, you could definitely receive there. Um, Byzantine, similarly, they'll distribute communion a little bit differently, so just watch what other people are doing. But they're all, we all believe the same thing. Um, again, they're praying the same Mass. It's just their, the liturgical context, if you will, within which they offer Mass looks different. And that's really all that separates us. And it's not even a separation. We're, we're all united in our belief and in our worship. It's just they pray a little bit differently. So anywhere, yeah. yeah. Anywhere, I mean, again, here it's Byzantine Catholics. I think there is um, Maronite, Chaldean Rite, um, I don't think we have any Coptic here. Um, but typically, if you find the word Catholic in the name, that's a good indication. You can also go to um, catholic.org, which is the Catholic Answers website. And if you punch that in, which churches are in communion with the Roman Catholic Church, they'll give you a whole list. So, Have you, ever, have you guys all discovered that website, by the way? 
it's a great resource. It's, it's excellent. There's a lot of just really, really good practical stuff on there and good theological stuff too. So, Doug, are there any questions through the uh, live stream? No. Okay, good. All right. Um, so that's the reception of Holy Communion. Um, as you go back to your pew, generally I'd recommend kneeling for a bit as the, as the hymn is continuing, just to, to pray, to thank God you know, for giving us himself, right? Um, uh, to make a little prayer of thanksgiving is really important at that moment. Um, as Larry, I hope, talked about last time, every single particle of the consecrated host, every drop of the, uh, the blood is, is Jesus. And so you'll notice that the priest... If he doesn't do it right there at Mass, he does it afterwards, will purify all the vessels by pouring water into them and then consuming it, you know, consuming all the, all the particles there. Um, so we try to be very, very conscious and careful uh, about the way that we handle the Eucharist because of who and what we believe um, it is. So, um, yeah, so just to, it's important to kind of keep that in mind and just the way that you receive, too, to let our, our body language speak to, to what we believe. The Eucharist doesn't stop being the body of Christ like after Mass is over. So that's why um, with the hosts that remain, you'll see generally the servers or the deacons or the priests who are helping with Mass will go off to the, to the tabernacle and bring all the other hosts there. Um, have you guys all been in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel? So if you're, if you're looking at the altar, it's the front right chapel, it's the gold one, right? That box at the front of it is, is called a tabernacle, which is a word that means tent. Um, and every Catholic church will have a tabernacle. That's the place where the Eucharist is kept. Um, usually you can find it. There will be a red, it's called a sanctuary lamp. It's just a red candle or a candle in a red vase. Um, and so that's if you're in a church and you don't know where the tabernacle is, look for that. And that's generally where it is. Typically, the tabernacle is, is right behind the altar. And the cathedral's tabernacle used to be right behind our altar. But then Archbishop May, some decades ago, changed everything, and he put it in the side. It's nice to be able to go over there and pray. I mean, I, I will give him that. But um, anyway, um, the way that we show reverence to the Eucharist outside of the Mass in particular is by genuflecting. So you'll see me, whenever I walk by the Blessed Sacrament, if I'm in the, in the chapel wherever, to genuflect is just to go down on your right knee, just like that. Um, we only genuflect to the Eucharist. Everything else, if we're going to show reverence to it, we, we do with a, with a bow. Um, so that's why, um, like if I'm celebrating Mass somewhere else where the tabernacle is in the middle of the church, as I process in for Mass, typically I would genuflect before I begin Mass. Here, I, we just bow because the tabernacle is off to the side, right? So I'm bowing to the altar when I come in for Mass, or sometimes we'll bow to the crucifix. Um, but we, we genuflect to the Eucharist is, uh, is what we do that. Obviously, if you're not able, if you're physically just not able to genuflect, that's okay. You can just give a little bow, and that's, that's fine. But that's kind of something to just sort of keep in mind, that that's the way that we kind of distinguish, that we, we reverence the Eucharist through genuflection, and then everything else, if we're going to show reverence to it, we just bow. Okay. Um, yeah, so the, the Blessed Sacrament is brought off to the tabernacle. If there is any um, left over, it'll be used at the next Mass or, or later, uh, later in the week. Um, that chapel obviously is open for people to go pray in. There's, there's kneelers and chairs and everything to go pray. And, you know, that's about as close as you can get to the Blessed Sacrament apart from receiving Holy Communion. Sometimes if you go in there, there will be something like this on the altar that the tabernacle sits on. And there will be a consecrated host inside of there. And this is called a monstrance. Um, 
We've got like a few of them in the, uh, in the cathedral. This is one that we have in the chapel upstairs. Um, and uh, this is used for um, Eucharistic adoration. So as I said, you can go and pray in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel anytime and pray before the tabernacle knowing that Jesus is in there. But sometimes for certain occasions, we'll bring Jesus out and put him in this uh, so that we can look upon him in, in, this, in, in, a, in a vessel like this. So here we have Eucharistic adoration on Saturdays from, um, does it start at 3.30, Doug? Usually I'm in the confessional. Yeah, 3.30 to 5. And then on first Fridays, uh, so the first Friday of every month, we have Eucharistic adoration from um, uh, after the 8 o'clock Mass until the noon Mass on the first Friday of the month. Our men's group, our women's group, our young adult group also typically will have Eucharistic adoration as at least a part of what they do every month and every week. So if you see these around, that's, that's what that is. It's a monstrance, and um, obviously the ones in the cathedral are a lot bigger than this, but uh, it's used for people to worship uh, the Eucharist outside of the context of Mass. Um, any questions about that? Or any questions about praying in front of the Eucharist or anything like that? Kind of covering a lot of information, but yeah. Uh-huh. Distribute from the chalice? Yeah. Um, some, a lot of churches do. Um, and um, we stopped during COVID. So we stopped distributing from the chalice during, during COVID. And we just haven't had too many people asking for it to come back. And plus, we don't have a whole lot of extraordinary ministers to help distribute the communion. Um, so really, the reason that we don't do, do it here is primarily just practical. Um, but also, we believe, as Larry, I think, talked, I'm sure talked about last time, we believe that Jesus is fully contained under both species, under the, the bread and the wine. So Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity is fully contained in both the host and in the chalice. So it's not as if you receive the host and you don't receive from the chalice that you're missing something. It's not like, you're, oh, I didn't receive his blood. You did. He's fully contained under both, both species of the Eucharist. Um, so yeah, other parishes, they will distribute from the chalice. Um, we just haven't brought it back here for practical reasons. Yeah, good question. Anybody yeah. else? Cool. After the reception of Holy Communion, there is a... Um, a final prayer that's offered, so the priest will have everyone stand. He'll say, let us pray once more, final blessing, and then that's it. That's, that's the end of the Mass. Um, so again, I think where something like this or a missal could be especially helpful is for the readings, for sure. And then just as you get more and more familiar with the Eucharistic prayer and the communion rite um, and kind of learn those prayers, uh, as, who, who was the point of that? You pointed out that all the stuff's right here in the front, so I don't know why I had to go through the whole book. But uh, yeah, at least the creed and the, and the penitential act at the beginning, the Gloria, are all right here on the front cover. Um, the readings you have to sort of search for, but they're all dated, so you can find the date. Um, I mentioned um, not receiving when you're conscious that you are in a state of mortal sin. Did, has Larry talked about venial and mortal sins? Yes. Did he talk about the sacrament of confession yet? He did. Okay, so let me just talk about practically how that looks. He has talked about confession. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know where he is. Uh, Doug, has he talked about confession yet? He, he's mentioned it in, in passing. Uh, 
Okay, so you guys will have a whole session on just the theology of it and why we believe what we do and you know, why do I have to confess my sins to a priest and where is that in the Bible? He'll handle all that. I wanted to say some things about just what, how to do it because um, if you are already baptized and you are planning just to receive the sacrament of confirmation, uh, it will be very good for you to go to confession before uh, that time. If you are unbaptized and you're going to be baptized at Easter, um, you're in good shape because baptism frees you from all of your sins. It's amazing. Adult baptism is incredible. Uh, <laughs> um, but if you're not, if you're not in that situation, or even after you get baptized, you're, you're going to sin again because you're a human being as we all are, and God is merciful. He wants to bestow his forgiveness upon you. I'm just going to explain right now kind of how to go to confession, especially for your first, for your first confession. So you'll go in there. All of our confessionals here at the cathedral are anonymous. So there's a screen in there between the priest and you. So we can't see you. Um, other parishes oftentimes will have an option to go um, behind a screen or sit face-to-face with a priest. As you go in there, typically you just make the sign of the cross. Um, it's traditional to say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. You don't have to say that. Really the first piece of information that the priest needs is how long ago was your last confession? So a lot of people will start, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been six months since my last confession. I was here last week, whatever, how long it's been. Um, so that's the first piece of information the priest is going to need. And then you just go through and, you know, kind of the, the way to think about it is, is kind and number. I did this this many times. You don't need to give the whole story. You don't need to tell why. It's none of the priest's business. Uh, we just need, you just need to say out loud, I, I lied, um, you know, about this many times maybe. Um, I um, stole something, whatever, I yelled at my mom, kicked the dog, whatever. <laughs> just uh, kind of number, just, just list them off. You don't, sometimes people maybe find it helpful to go into, you know, I made this mistake and that this is why I think this happened. And I'm not saying that that's bad. Um, confession really isn't the place to have that conversation, especially here because we have tons <laughs> of confessions. We hear hours of confessions every week, and it's a great thing. Um, our priests, you know, personally, I am very, very open to meeting anytime if anybody wants to get together and say, Father, I'm really trying to kick this, this habit or whatever. I'll say, great, call me. We can set up an appointment to talk. I don't, here is not really the, the time and place for me to, um, to have that conversation with you. Um, so you just, it's been this long since my last confession, or in your case, you might just go in there and say, Father, this is my first confession. I'm in RCIA. And, that's it. and then he'll walk you through the rest. But you essentially then just sort of list the sins you would like to ask God's forgiveness for. Um, the way to prepare for... I'm writing this phrase down because you can Google this. Of conscience. If you Google this phrase examination of conscience um, is essentially what you're recommended to do before going to confession. And there's tons of different forms of this. It's essentially a, um, there's many kind of different structured ways of examining what are the sins that I need, to, I need to confess? How can I think about my past in such a way as to sort of bring to light, um, you know, what I've done uh, that I need to confess? So it'll, a lot of times they'll be like, have I done this? Have I stolen? Have I kept have I gone to Mass on Sunday? Have I done this and that? Whatever. So a lot of different forms of that. If you just Google that phrase, you'll come up with, with a dozen of them. Um, I recommend to people, if it's been a long time since your last confession or it's your first one, you can write them down as you think about 
this, you know, maybe a, a week or so leading up to your confession. You can just start keeping a list. Oh my gosh, I remember I did this and I want to make sure I confess that. You can write it down. You can bring it in there and just read it. Uh, to, I used to do that all the time. I would I'd make my, if I knew I was going to confession the next day, I'd do a little examination of conscience the night before, make a list, bring it in, read it, and then throw the list away or burn it, whatever, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was finished. So you can feel very, very welcome to do that, to just make a list and, and, and read it. Yeah. Great. And you weren't doing and you were doing it in the past, it's yeah. still something to confess. And the second question is, what if you were doing something for a really long time? Mm -hmm. Then how do you remind that? Great questions. Excellent. So for the first one, um, you wouldn't need to confess it. So if you were to if you did something in the past, but at the time you didn't know it was wrong, and now you do, that wasn't a sin. So sin is always something I freely choose to do. We don't confess accidents or mistakes. Um, to sin involves me doing something that I know that I shouldn't do. Um, sometimes people like to bring in things like that, though, just to sort of clear their mind and clear the air, and it's okay to do that, to say it out loud. Um, I will generally, if people say, you know, I did this when I was a kid and I didn't know it was bad, but it's been haunting me for all these years and I just want to clear my, I just want to get it off my chest. I'll say, that's good, but that wasn't a sin. Just to be clear, you know, God wasn't sort of holding that over. You didn't know. You know, we, God knows what you know and what you don't know. He can't hold you accountable for what you don't know. So, um, so it's not necessary to bring those things up at all. Um, they're not sins, but sometimes people find it helpful to bring them up. That sort of answer the first one. Second one was, yeah, so if, I, if I've been doing something for years, how do I quantify that? I don't, we don't need an exact number. Um, sometimes people will come in and say, I did this about twice a week, or I've been doing this every single day for maybe around 30 years or so. So you can give kind of a ballpark, you know, quantification, if you will. Cool? Any other questions so far? All right. So generally the priest will let you just confess everything that you want to confess. And then oftentimes he'll give maybe like a little piece of advice or, uh, or um, you know, just a something, you know, comforting word or something. You know, no, God's forgiveness. He loves you. Um, the priest will then give you a penance, which um, is generally going to be a prayer that he wants you to say after confession. Um, <laughs> if you go to confession to me, I always get the same penance and it drives people crazy. But usually I will tell people to pray three Hail Marys and ask for a specific virtue. So if a person comes in and they confess, I'm having trouble forgiving, or I'm, I, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm not generous enough, or I don't love my neighbor enough, usually I'll say, okay, for your penance, I want you to pray three Hail Marys and ask for the virtue of charity. Charity is the virtue that helps us to love God and love our neighbor. So I'll say, ask for that virtue. Uh, I'm having trouble believing in God's love for me or I doubt his plan for my life. Okay, go pray three Hail Marys and ask for the virtue of hope. Um, I yelled at my mom the other day. Okay, go pray three Hail Marys for your mom. You know, so um, usually it's three Hail Marys and I'll try to correspond it to something that the, that the person said. Um, he'll give you that. He'll, he'll assign you a penance, which again is something to do later, usually within the course of that day. And then he'll ask you to say your act of contrition. This is another prayer that there are... Do I need to write that down? Because Oh, there it is. Whatever. <clears throat> there are a lot of different forms of the act of contrition. Um, so... Some people will come in and say, oh, there's one printed here, but it's not the one I remember as a kid. And I'll say, just say the one that's, that's familiar to you. You can say it in any language. Um, usually, if you're in a confessional, there will be one printed there, like on a card, like our confessionals have 
acts of contrition printed out, and so you can just read it. The one that I say, it's um, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's an act of contrition. You're basically an act of sorrow. So you could say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. That's an act of contrition. So some people like to make it up on the spot, try to you know, concoct a little prayer. That's fine, too. Um, but yeah, you can Google that phrase. There's tons of different forms of it. There's no right or wrong one. Um, it can be as long or don't go too long. <laughs> as short as you want. We'll put it that way. It can be as short as you want. Um, and after you make your act of contrition, the priest will give you absolution, which is a prayer that he prays over you, and it ends with him saying, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's in that moment that we believe that the Lord does indeed free you from your sins. And so I encourage people all the time, you know, you came into confession with these sins, they stay here, you go forth in peace now, right? You, the Lord does not see these sins on your soul anymore. You are forgiven. So have confidence in God's and God's forgiveness. Then usually begins the work of trying to forgive ourselves, but, but we shouldn't doubt that God, that God has forgiven us. So that's why we have this sacrament, as Larry will talk about. Um, let me just say this. This is something that I probably don't even need to say, but I'm going to. Um, So when Larry talked about the sacraments, did he talk about like matter and form? That basically every single sacrament has some absolutely essential element to it, specific words that have to be said in order for the sacrament to be valid. And if those words aren't said, it's not the sacrament. So for instance, in the Eucharist, the priest has to say, this is my body. This is the chalice of my blood. If he says something else or he doesn't say those words, it's not the Eucharist and it's just bread, right? Um, and Catholics have a right to validly celebrated sacraments. So you have a right to have you know, the sacraments celebrated in a manner that, that's valid. Maybe you guys heard the story. Well, forget that. The essential form of confession is I absolve you. Okay? The priest has to say I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, if, if you go to confession, pray this never happens. But we do have some Jesuits nearby, so... <laughs> um, and you don't hear those words you can ask the priest father could you could you say the actual words of of, uh, of absolution uh <laughs> forget that comment about the jesuits um, um you need to hear those words you have a right to hear those words so um that's the the absolutely essential form of there's a whole prayer a beautiful prayer that kind of goes along with it but that's the essential form of of confession so um Practically, don't be nervous. Like I said, we hear hours of confession here at the cathedral. My hearing is kind of weird, so it's hard for me to tell voices one from another. So people come in and they'll say, oh, Father, I was here last week. I'm doing the same thing. And in my head, I'm thinking, like, I don't know who you are. Like, how do I know? <laughs> like, you can't just say, oh, it's the same thing as last week. Well, I don't know what that was. First of all, I've probably heard a thousand confessions since you were here last. And second of all, I don't, <laughs> your voice doesn't give you away to me. So um, we've heard everything. I mean, Human nature is very unoriginal, we, especially in our sinning. So uh, we've heard a lot of it. We've probably done a lot of it, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, so, you know, I, I know if, for, if you've never gone to confession, it can be maybe kind of a nerve-wracking thing the first time you go. But I can tell you, as a priest who's heard many confessions over the course of my nine years of priest, it's, it's one of the most humbling things that I get to do. And it's, it's, it's very powerful. I mean, just to, yeah, we're all sinners kind of on our way together. Uh, and so for me, when I hear somebody in confession, I think, okay, this is a person who is at battle 
along with me. I'm struggling with the same thing. So um, again, I know it can be kind of an awkward or nerve-wracking thing to go to confession, but um, but speaking for myself, it's it's never a situation where I'm sitting thinking, man, what is this person doing? What is your problem? <laughs> that is not going through my head at all, and I, I hope that's the case for just about every other priest also. Um, because it maybe the first time you go to confession for some of you, some people choose to set up an appointment with the priest. So in addition to the times that we offer confession you know, to everybody, you can always call and set up an, an appointment with one of the priests or with Father Marco or anybody. If you think you want some more time or if you want to talk through things a little bit more, um, you, you can always just call the office and say, I want to set up an appointment for confession with one of the priests. And we're very, we do that all the time. Very, very happy to do that. Questions? Any, I mean, so, any questions about, like, confession or how to do it or just any, uh, here we go. No? Is that one, Doug? <laughs> uh, I have a question and then a comment. Okay. The comment was that when you're in St. Louis and you go to a bilingual priest, the odds are high, it's primarily English, secondarily Spanish or French or whatever. If you go into other locations in the U.S., the opposite is often true. So, for example, when I go to confession in Florida and I got in line of a bilingual, it turns out that the priest hardly spoke any English. <laughs> uh, but I did ask at the end, did you absolve me? Mm. And he said yes. So he could understand at least what I was saying. So it's just got a, that, yeah. a word of wisdom there. Now, the question that came in also on the, uh, online is in looking for a daily missile. Yeah. Are there any special uh, versions, any special publishers that we ought to look at? Midwest Theological Forum makes my favorite one, MTF. Midwest Theological Forum makes all kinds of good stuff. Um, I've gone through a bunch of missiles uh, over the years. Um, this is probably the, my favorite one that I've had so far. Um, so they make really good ones. Catholic Supply is a local store here in St. Louis over on like Chippewa and almost Hampton, I guess, um, right by Ted Drews. It's across the street from Ted Drews. They'll have tons of these in different forms if you want to kind of, you know, look at the different styles, I guess, of them. Um, so that'd be a place to go. Um, but yeah, uh, Midwest Theological Forum is the best one I've ever seen as far as publishers go. Mm -hmm. I have a question Yeah, I don't really know, and I it's I don't know that anybody does. So it's it's the traditional ending for mass is the Latin phrase "ita misa ite misa est," which means the mass is is finished. Where that word "misa" came from, though, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's I, and I don't I, I think it's where again the earliest forms of the Latin celebration of the mass that was how it ended. Um, Larry might have an answer to that question. I don't know off the top of my head, but it comes from Misa, which is the Latin word for it, but where they made up that word, um, Catholic Answers probably knows. I don't know off the top of my head, but yeah, good question. Yeah, please. Yeah, great. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. What do you got? Oh, Wikipedia. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> Uh huh. I don't remember, but mm -hmm. in the end, like the in English, uh -huh. the priest is sending you to do something. Right. Okay. So it's it's in that that last phrase that's used at the end of mass. Go forth, the mass is ended. Itemisa est. Um, 
and yeah, it's something to do with you know going forth that, that we come to mass to obviously to worship. It's the it's the foremost um, prayer, so it's the best way that we have to worship God. But it's also a place that we come to be nourished by God, right? God gives us spiritual strength to go carry out our mission, which is to evangelize at the mass. So yeah, 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 something like that, and then go out and get the world. Yeah. <laughs> Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Go forth the masses on it. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other questions about confession? Um, you can really go anytime. If you are um, planning on being received into the church at Easter, anytime between now and then, you can come here. You can go to any parish that offers it. You can call to set up an appointment. Um, the church recommends. Um, how often do you go? I, I go once a month. I try to go once a month. Um, some people go more often than that. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend going too much more often than that unless you have like a, a habit that you're trying to break or a serious sin that you need to confess. Um, uh, some people go less often. Some people just go during Advent and uh, Lent. That's probably, I'd recommend going more than that. I think once a month is a good, is a good middle of the road recommendation. Um, but yeah, you're at the point in RCIA, though, where you can go at any time between now and receiving your sacraments of initiation. Again, if you are unbaptized, don't go. Um, baptism is the doorway to all the other sacraments, so you wouldn't be needing to go to confession before baptism. But, but if you are baptized and you are looking to be confirmed, anytime between now and Easter, um, please feel free to go to confession. You can reach out to me with any questions or anything about it if, if anything like that comes up. Let me say one more thing, and then I'm going to wrap up here. I, already, I can't believe I went this long. Um, there's a skull over in the cathedral right now. Uh, <laughs> a, <laughs> so has Larry talked at all about relics? Did he talk about those? So this is an ancient practice. This is, you know, since, um, really since the women uh, who, and uh, Joseph of Arimathea venerated the, the body of Jesus, there's an ancient practice of um, sort of devotion to, sometimes it's a piece of clothing, a lot of times it's like a piece of bone or a piece of hair from the body of a saint. Sometimes devotion to relics gets overblown and people think it, it's like magic, and it's not, right? This is something that as creatures who are soul and body, um, it's a way for us to have sort of a tangible um, object for us to, um, to manifest devotion to, um, to a particular saint and ask them to pray for us. So um, we have a lot of relics at the cathedral. I have some up in my room, actually. This is a relic of St. Ambrose. This is typically what they look like. It's just a small, this looks like probably a piece of clothing, I think. Um, so typically they're pretty small, um, and uh, it's just something to, you know, it'd be something sort of to fix your attention on as you're asking that particular saint to, to pray for you. The, the skull we have right now is a saint uh, named St. John de Brebeuf, who was one of the North American martyrs, who was a Jesuit martyr who came to the Americas to evangelize and was killed. Um, and they, I don't know how we, how we got this, but uh, they have his skull in a, in a sort of glass case and it's being brought around the whole country for people to, to venerate and to, um, you know, just to, to meditate you know, with, I guess, and consider his life and heroic virtue. So I think he's over there right now. If you wanted to go, he's uh, in there, I think, from like now until about 8 o'clock tonight. So just wanted to say that that's going on over there. Yeah. The, the Jesuits, yeah. There's a Jesuit group who, um, he was a Jesuit priest, and so they, his skull has been in some church, I don't know where, 
for who knows how long. And it's, it's actually kind of common that they will take different relics of particularly well-loved saints on sort of like a, a, a tour so people around the country can have the opportunity to, to venerate it. So it's not just some guy who grabbed it and is walking around and showing them off like a circus attraction. Yeah, yeah. Um, do priests and uh, the temple archdiocese? Yeah, archdiocese, yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh -huh. Great question. So there's lots of different kinds of priests. Uh, the two, the primary distinction would be between if you're in a religious order or you're a diocesan priest. So as you guys probably heard, a diocese is just a geographical area. It's a, it's a particular church. As a priest who's connected to a diocese, I am connected to the bishop of this place. That's who I make my promise of obedience to. I will likely only all my priesthood will be lived out here and assigned here. So I'm, a I'm attached to a geographical area. Priests who are members of religious orders are part of a, a worldwide international reality. And so they can really be sent anywhere in the world. They make a promise of obedience um, to a religious superior. So these would be guys like Jesuits, Dominicans, Benedictines, Franciscans. Um, so we have a mix of both here. We have some Jesuits who are currently assigned to like St. Louis University to teach. We have some Franciscans who run a parish in South City, um, but they're all sort of ultimately subject to the international head of their order and could be sent anywhere at any time. We, the majority of the priests are in St. Louis are archdiocesan, which means we will stay within St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. What's up? Ooh. Great question. Let me just say something about it real quick. I mentioned, and you'll be getting an email about this this week. I said last week I was going to send it in two weeks, um, so it'll be coming out this week. I mentioned last week, I think, that you have to choose a sponsor, so somebody who is a practicing Catholic who can be there with you at the, at the Easter Vigil, um, who can pray for you. In addition to that, you'll be asked to choose a confirmation saint. Um, and this is, it's kind of an American practice. Not everybody in the, not every, you know, Catholic, whatever. Not everyone in the world does. It's just kind of here in the United States. And essentially, it's a saint who, somebody maybe that you look up to, whose life has been an inspiration to you. And that's actually the name that the bishop will use when he confirms you. So you'll be, my confirmation saint was Saint Augustine. You guys know anything about him? He was a massive sinner for most of a good portion of his early life and then had this big conversion. Um, that's why I liked him. So I chose him as my confirmation saint. Um, and so when I was confirmed, the bishop said, Augustine, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Similarly for you, um, there's a lot of, to answer your question more directly, there's a lot of different lives of the saints out there. So that's another thing you can just type into Google, lives of the saints. And there's lots of different books that you can come across to read about these saints. Um, there are also a number of different patron saints. So a saint um, whose intercession is invoked for a particular cause. So like there's a patron saint of, I'm sure the military, uh, um, different things like that. So you might find something that you um, is important to you and maybe just look to see who the patron of that thing is. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to kind of go about. Um, we used to, we used to have like an RCIA library. I have no idea where that went. What I'll do is um, next week, I'll bring down a stack of Lives of the Saints books and you can feel free to borrow those and just kind of do your own research on to, into who you like. Or you can email me and I can give you some recommendations for how to think about it. But yeah, that will be another thing that you'll choose between now and, um, and Easter. And that's something you'll get an email about this week. Any other questions about 
priesthood or sacraments or Eucharist or confession? Yeah. Yes. So the cathedral is up in Florida. Uh-huh. There is no St. Basilica. Um, I'm not sure where that word comes from, but essentially a basilica is just an honorary title. So it's designated by the Holy Father at some point. So we were designated as a basilica, um, I think by Pope John Paul II. Um, uh, and he also visited here, in fact. But um, it's, it's, there is no St. Basilica. We are the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis. So St. Louis is, our, is the patron, not only of our archdiocese, but also of our, of our basilica. So basilica is just a... Um, it's an honorary title that the. Yep. So that's that's what designates a basilica. A cathedral is named such just because it's it's the cathedra is the, is where the, the seat is. Yeah, where the bishop sits. Yep. Um, but cathedral a basilica is just an honorary title that some cathedrals get. Yeah. So we have two of them actually here in St. Louis. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The the old the old cathedral. So it's the one down under the arch. Yeah. Is also a basilica. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and their umbrella is huge. So if you go there, their umbrella is a lot bigger than ours is. It's called an umbrellino, actually, yeah. yeah. Any other questions? All right, yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh-huh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, so every, um, typically every church is named either for a saint or sometimes like an event in the life of Jesus. Um, so I think actually, um, oh, the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, I think, is, um, is that Washington, D.C.? Um, so anyway, so yeah, I mean, typically all, the vast majority of Catholic churches are under the patronage of some saint or other. Yeah, so St. Louis here. I grew up in a parish, St. Blaise. Um, um, which was up in North County. St. You know, Lawrence was up there too. So, yeah. Anyway. Great. Any other questions? <laughs> Go see that school. Yeah. Uh, on the Hyde Breedery app, that there are different, um, the religious orders you were naming, the Augustinians, uh -huh. Franciscans, the common of the prayers change depending on which setting you have it in. Is that in a missile, like in a physical missile, or are there missiles, or are there liturgy of the hour books particular for each religious order? Typically, yes, but they're not generally used. So typically, so like the Dominicans have their own rite of the mass. They actually do, but they don't ever use it. That's kind of an older practice. What you might be talking about is like, are you talking about like the prayers for like the saint being celebrated that day? Or no, you, no interesting. Like, hey, okay. A, mm -hmm. I'll just show you. Okay. Yeah. Or we can wait. Sure, yeah, show me afterwards, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what that is. Okay, let's uh, pray. Obviously, you guys can always reach out if you have any questions, you want to talk more about confession or anything like that. Um, go check out that skull. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One